if you're going to have a goal, have a lofty one is what I say, you know, otherwise why, why, why do you get out of bed in the morning? Like Elon Musk is like, people say to him, why are you going to Mars? And he's like, cause I want to get out of fucking bed. You know, I want to get out of bed and go and do something fucking awesome. You know, and I, I don't know how to build a rocket. Otherwise I would, <laughs> uh, but that's what, you know, like I, I don't, I don't want to be here and just, you know, muck around and go to a job I hate. I'd rather do something that's going to be exciting and fun. And, and I love these sports and, um, yeah, I can't say too much about how things will evolve, but I have some pretty interesting plans that people won't expect for it. Hi, and welcome to a brand new Riders Lounge podcast episode. I'm Steve Sommerfeld, your host on this rocket ship to Mars. And this week I'm releasing one of the most important podcasts I think you should all listen to with one of the most influential minds in action sports, Paul Everest. If you don't know the name, that's all right. Maybe you've heard of a little clothing brand called Unit, which he built from a few hundred bucks in the garage with his brother Ian and grew it into a multi-million dollar behemoth in the two-wheeled action sports niche, which blew up on the back of the glory years of freestyle motocross in the early 2000s. And it set Paul on one of the biggest private and public roller coasters I think anyone could imagine. And if you don't remember the collapse of unit when it was at its peak, it was like watching the primetime news. It was like when unit became so big, so fast, but its own success was its ultimate demise. How the hell two brothers could grow such a monster to take over the world and how were they going to control it once they let it off the leash? While I was never actually sponsored by Paul directly, Unit had such a big impact on not only my FMX career, but every single rider and fan in Australia, New Zealand, and then the world. Unit sponsored pretty much every single FMX competition going around. The prize money, that helped us all to cover travel costs. For an event organizer, it felt like they could run an event without losing money. They supported media like Freerider MX Magazine so we as the fans could keep getting our monthly fix of FMX. Heck, I even worked at Freerider MX as a writer since 2006 and then finally writing my own book, The Ultimate Guide to Freestyle in 2009. And in the end, Unit also sponsored almost every top writer at some point in their career from a very young Robbie Madison Rob Adelberg, Matt Schubring, Levi Sherwood. The list could go on forever. Heck, Unit even sponsored Night of the Jumps, the FMX World Championships, where I am now working on all new events and disciplines of freestyle motocross and freeriding. And it turns out, 20 years later, half the reason why Unit was even created is now being reinvented with the innovation in the FMX bike design with Levi Sherwood as the main driver right now. And you'll find out all about that bike that Ian Everest had designed and what actually happened to the unit Skycraft in this episode. But that's the past and now is the future. And Paul is continually reinventing himself. And right now his latest project is taking off. And it is new. It is his new action sports brand called Thriller. And if you don't follow him on any social channels, Check it out. This is what building a brand looks like. This is business 101. And Paul is at the coalface and making it happen from the ground up. 
Now, this interview was actually recorded a couple of months ago, so some things might have already happened since then, but the reason was there was a few time-sensitive points he brought up about the business side of Thriller, and it was just best to hold off on releasing it until now. Now, I'm not supported at all by Thriller or by Paul. I just wanted to hear his story and for you to all to take some valuable insights from this chat because I really do think Paul is just a genius when it comes to brand building. But I did ask him if there was something that he could do for the listeners of this podcast specifically because we're all here, because we love freestyle motocross and we probably already know the story somewhat. So he has created a promo code on thriller.com and the code is lounge. And I'll put that in the show notes as well or on writersloungepodcast.com if you can't find it. So it's just been activated. Jump on there, see what all the hype is about and follow what they're up to. Now, as you can also tell, I do believe in very specific partners and sponsors. I don't like just people taking money for the hell of it, running stupid brands and stupid logos for some cash. But I do want to say a huge thank you to my main partner of this podcast, Rothaus Brewery. And even just a van full of beer has already saved me more than they could ever imagine. And I'm sure you guys can understand that. Plus, the marketing manager, Matthew is also a skater and a filmer, which I only just found out over a couple of beers on the brewery tour. Right, well, that all sounded a little bit too serious, didn't it? Right, let's just get this show on the road and enjoy this chat with a good friend of mine, Paul Everest. No, I mean, honestly, every time I do one of these, we have like 20-minute chat before I actually press record. It's usually like the best 20 minutes anyway. So um, I figured with you, I've known you for a very long time now. I'm just going to press record and um, let's just see where the magic goes. <laughs> Sounds good, brother. <laughs> Mate, it's it's actually quite funny. Um, it is a bloody long time that I've known you. And uh, I was thinking about it. I actually have a shirt that you gave me. I think it was the very first comp I ever did at King of the Coast or FMX Nationals. And I've still got it. That's how, yes. that must have been 2004, I guess it was, yes. FMX it, Nationals or something like that. I'll, I, I don't know. I'll have to find a picture. But um, yeah, it's been a bloody long time, mate. How have you been anyway? It's been a long time since I've seen you as well. Yes. Yeah, well, I've had a, an adventure, mate. I've actually been uh, through various uh, forms of ups and downs and excitements and uh, tragedies and uh all of the above. So yeah, I'm in a good place now. I've, uh, I guess I'm living in Burley Heads on the Gold Coast, which is a place where I hope I never have to leave. I, I, if, if I'm if I'm open to, uh, uh, if I'm sorry, if I'm honest, I'll probably live here for the rest of my life. Um, and yeah, about to embark on a new brand, which is, uh, well, just started, I should say, and and uh, very excited about the future. Mate, that's awesome. Well, <laughs> to be honest, like I'm living over here now in Germany and everybody asks me when I tell them where I come from, I say, oh, well, I'm from Tyro. It's about two hours north of Brisbane. Oh, is that near the Gold Coast? Yeah, it's near the Gold Coast. Then why the hell do you live in Germany? So, you know, you've got the right idea if you never leave the Gold Coast, mate, because everyone here is wondering why the hell I live here. Look, I understand that. I think the Gold Coast has become the California of the Southern Hemisphere. But in saying that, I have spent a lot of time in Europe uh, with uh, George from Masters of Dirt. Oh, yeah. Uh, Vienna, especially. And he and I are like uh, separated brothers at birth. 
he, he is a wild man and uh, I have had some of the best moments of my life in, in Vienna and around Europe. So if you're lucky enough to get to be in both uh, regions in your life, then you're, you, know, you should count your lucky stars. And, and I'm pr- proud to say that I've had both, both places uh, well experienced. But in terms of home, Gold Coast is uh, brilliant and it is an action sports hub. We do produce the world's best uh, athletes in many forms here on the Gold Coast. I don't know why. Uh, I believe it's partially to do with our weather and you know the surf and, and so on. Um, and yeah, all the motocross and BMX tracks are all here and, and Aussies are known for just getting out there and living it. And uh, yeah, that's, I suppose, my theory on why it's worked out and become a bit of a, a hub for what we do. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, actually, we'll touch on that a little bit later, but just quickly, you said about Georgie and Vienna. Like I, I actually yeah. got invited to ride. Uh, I rode two MOD shows um, in my career, which was awesome to do. But I never got to ride Vienna, and that's the big one. Uh, I know that's the one everyone wants to do. So I didn't get there, but I did do Klagen for the first year and the second year, which the first year was massive. Uh, it was probably one of the biggest shows I think I've ever done. And, uh, yeah, I remember actually one of the rules everyone told me before I rode MOD was um, basically you have to go out. Like if you don't go out, don't bother getting a, a call up for the next event. And I couldn't. I was – Squibby and I, we drove from England to get to the show. We drove all through the night. I think it was 27 hours we drove to get to the show. I didn't trust Squibby to drive, so I did the whole thing. Um, he just sat on the other side and slept mostly. Um, <laughs> did the show, and then we had to turn around and go back to England. So I, I, I stuffed up. I didn't go to the after party. Big, big mistake. Big loss. I mean, I've partied with the hardest Americans and the hardest Europeans, and I love my American bros, but i got to say the European uh, scene is on another level. And, yeah, just, I mean, I remember vividly we did a show on a Saturday, and I think it ended at about 7, 8 p.m., maybe 10 p.m. actually, went out in Vienna somewhere. There was actually, there was an Aussie club uh, where they were selling VBs over the counter. I got a free one because I'm a legitimate Aussie. And so, um, <laughs> but anyway. Well, you have yeah, to so show your passport? They could just, they just knew. I think it was they my. Just, uh, I think they should actually just yeah, know. Yeah, that, that, right. just, just my accent, I suppose. But um, yeah, so the, 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 the riders and, and myself and George and all the boys and, and uh, the entourage, so to speak, went, went out. And uh, yeah, then we went to some crazy nightclub and so we were in there i don't remember much of it but it was absolutely amazing and then i remember leaving the nightclub as the sun was coming up and i'm thinking okay i'm going to go home to sleep now and then a couple of the riders like okay guys we've got like one or two hours to sleep and then we got to go and do trains Um, and to to people who are listening who don't know what i mean by trains this is not your normal train this is you are in a lineup of the world's best freestyle motocross riders the guy in front of you is doing a, a flip uh, combination. You've got some flip combination and there's a guy behind you with a similar thing in mind. And somehow you all have to do this half drunk in front of uh, 50,000 uh, European kids going crazy. Um, and I remember thinking, you guys are animals. That is brilliant. And I went to bed, they went to the show and uh, they didn't crash. So, uh, But I was very impressed with that effort. Now imagine... Could you wake up and could you imagine yourself doing that train? Me, no. <laughs> That's what Not, I'm thinking. Like a normal person would have to say, no way. 
I, I think, yeah, you, you know, the, the MOD, the Masters of Dirt, is uh, you have to really earn your, uh, your rights to be on that show. And it, if you can't party, then you, you, don't, uh, you don't get an invite. So it, was, uh, it, is, it is amazing to see. And the show itself is brilliant. And for everyone that's uh, not been, I highly recommend it. Like the, the pyrotechnics through to the lasers and everything um, are amazing. I do help the guys uh, with their merchandise, which is uh, fun. And, and I get flown over there by Georgie each year. Um, except for these recent years with everything going on. But, um, he and I actually spoke only about six hours ago. He calls me Koala. Uh, so we, we just caught George up. Georgie about... was awake six hours ago? Yeah. What the hell? That must yes. have been early for him. It was. He was actually having breakfast, which was odd. I remember it thinking, br- this is not like I was just about though. to say, was he coming home from another nightclub? But I guess they're closed at the moment. So, yeah. Yes, but it was, yeah, good times, and and I I cannot wait to get back back to Europe. So it's not all bad over there. <laughs> no, exactly. Actually, that does that brings back another story. What you just said about waking up and doing trains. So when we finished that twenty whatever twenty four twenty six twenty seven hour drive, we got into the hotel and we had to do training the next day. So. We were kind of like, we were the late call-ups because I guess two other guys couldn't make it, which is fine. I'm happy to be the fill-in rider. That is, I know my place and that was a good place to be. But we got into the hotel, eyes hanging out of our heads, and uh, I saw Mark Pignol in the foyer and I, I didn't know he was riding the show. I was like, oh, you're here. And he looked at me and he's like, oh, you're here. Cool. But he looked like he had somewhere to be. And I was like, oh, but what are you guys doing? He's like, mate, we've got to go. We're getting on the bus in 15 minutes. Oh, I don't even think it was 15. It was like five because he was trying to run out the door. Oh, okay. What is it training today? He's like, no, Metallica's on in Vienna. We were in Klagenfurt. He's like, of course, Georgie and all of his uh, contacts, <laughs> they had VIP uh, guest access, whatever, to Metallica for the night. So they were going to Vienna the night before the show and my eyes were hanging out of my head. I was so tired. And as soon as he said, they're going to see Metallica, I'm like, Oh, I am there. So I just, I was about to throw my bags in the room, go straight to watch them. And Squibby, the bastard was, let's say, um, he was the only one using his brain at that point. He's like, now just wait a minute, Steve, think about this. You've just driven 20-something hours. We've got to do probably the biggest show tomorrow that you've ever done. Um, You know how this is going to work out tonight. You'll see Metallica. Maybe the show finishes at 12, but the after party will go until about 6. So you'll have been away for like 30-something hours, and then you have to go do trains and do the job as good as you can. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and I it's, thought about it, and and that was the hardest thing. So I, I, uh, for the sake of not crashing in one of those trains and putting everybody else in hospital, I went to bed. So everybody else went to to watch Metallica, <laughs> and uh, I was in bed. That was it. So yeah, the 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 story that never happened, the concert I never saw. Fuck it, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure uh, you'll get get it back somehow, mate. Uh, just give it time. I'm sure Metallica, they're still young enough, you know, they're still out there. So there's, there's future it. hope. 
<laughs> That's it. Hopefully, hopefully we can get there. No, uh, actually, this is probably the most um, unprepared I've ever been for any interview because I thought with you and we could go anywhere with this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't really have a huge amount of questions, but one thing you did just say before about Gold Coast and why is it so good and is it the weather? Um, we've also got some of the biggest brands there as well have started over 20, 30, I don't even know how many years old they are now. Is that, I mean, I want to come back to the brands a little bit later, but is that a drive for you to be in the middle of everything there? Look, I, I think, uh, yeah, as, as I said earlier, it's like California. For some reason, you know, California is a hub of cultural uh, change in in the world and I think the Gold Coast is like a little brother to that in its own sort of way and has a similar physics in itself for that um, which I, I, c- I couldn't really put into a nifty paragraph for you and explain why I don't know why uh, it's the sun it's the surf you know that's the first thing to come to mind but we have produced a lot of big brands Billabong is the biggest brand I, I suppose it's synonymous with the Gold Coast uh, and yeah it's you know, it, it's a handy place to be. I feel like we, you know, we, we share a lot of similarities. We're an East Coast um, city compared to the West Coast in America, so there's some difference there. But uh, yeah, it's it's if you do want to start an action sports brand, I think being here is the place to be. And it's same if you're an athlete, you know, and um, that's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, actually, a lot of I remember when I first moved to Brisbane, I came down to go to university, and and I met Bayard and. Sam and a few other guys riding at Bayard's place every week. And it was only kind of us three. And there was another guy, Toby as well. There there wasn't too many guys there. And then it felt like after the first couple of King of the Coasts and FMX Nationals, everybody had to come up twice a year for those competitions. And I guess most of them came for the party. They sometimes rode the competition. And then they just stayed. You know, then, you know, so many from Melbourne and Sydney, I guess, were just coming up to the Gold Coast and they just hung around and then it just created this huge, yeah, yeah group of riders who just got into it. It just seemed, I think from a weather standpoint, you can ride year, year round. We don't have huge wind issues. Um, I think there are some pockets where you can build an FMX setup without too much um, open terrain, so to speak. Uh yeah, and I think because the brands are here, yeah, it just it's it just has become a bit of a hub. And um, I mean, yeah, when you speak of the king of the coast, you know, those years, this is we're talking nearly twenty years ago now, and this is the beginning of FMX itself, the first backflip, the first um, you know, no handed flips, and and uh, all of the things start happening. And so there was an incredible excitement for this new sport that had not existed before, and I think everyone had a dirt bike on the back of their ute. Like when I drive around now, I just don't see the same amount of uh, utes. And uh, you know, in America, they say trucks, or we say utes over here. But uh, you don't see the same level of dirt bikes in vans and, and, and trucks on, on the backs of cars. So there was a golden era there that I think um, I wish we still had. We still see pockets of it now. Uh, but that period was amazing. And uh yeah, it's yeah. I, I still look back and think, man, like we didn't realize how good of times though they were, and and uh, just seeing someone do the first like you know three sixty turn down or something was like the most incredible moment. And 
uh, yeah, the sport has has really um, taken different turns over the years, but those were the years where it really found. And you know, it, it was amazing. We would just have like one of our mates who lived down the road from us, Jacob Methke, was doing the biggest. You know, like um, what's that trick? I can't remember the name. You throw your legs between the handlebars and open them up. Ah, uh, Shaolin. Yeah, so there was this kid on the Gold Coast, unknown. He was doing bigger Shaolins than anyone in the world, and he was. I remember his name now that you say that. Yeah, we yeah, put him on the a- team, like on, yeah. on our brand, instantly, just because he was like, I like this is incredible, like, and he just was a no-name kid. <laughs> yeah, it, it's absolutely ridiculous, and but what this is probably jumping ahead way too far right now, but <laughs> you're right. We lived through the golden era at that time. That was our. That was everything I knew was happening in this area. Was everybody's riding dirt bikes? Cool. Everyone wants to do what I like to do. That's awesome. Why is it not like that now? What is What is your thoughts on why it's not like that? I suppose everything has a bell curve, right? You know, so it starts small, it grows and expands, and like nothing lasts forever. So, the idea that the envelope can be pushed to infinity doesn't exist in any form of reality, you know? And so I think freestyle motocross has reached somewhat of a pinnacle. I always, I always hold people back when I hear them say that though, because I always say never, you know, whenever I hear one of my designers say everything's been done, I say, shut the fuck up. Never yeah. ever say everything's been done. Cause as soon as you say that you resigned to mediocrity and I never, never embrace that so but in reality i feel like yeah, fmx has gone to such an extent that it's hard to look at what is possible next um but by the same token it's it's not so much the circus trick you know uh one-upmanship that, that we're missing it's like it's now evolved into like free riding and when you watch what some of these uh young american kids are doing now with like axel hodges and they're they're bringing a new flavor and a new twist it's like it's it's park freestyle park meets dirt bike natural terrain and i feel like that is something insane to watch um and then over the top you have some cool music and i feel like yeah they, they, we're kind of seeing a little bit of a resurgence from the crusty demons era with a modern twist with um new innovation so nothing really stays still it does it does evolve but i don't think we're going to see if someone do five backflips in the air i don't think we're going to see someone do a barrel roll you know don't, um, don't go saying those things you'll be proven wrong in like <laughs> and 10 I say years that, there'll be another kid coming out going oh that's yeah, it i'm going I'm proving for him wrong yeah and yeah. i hope i hope they do and maybe I'm exactly that for that reason and um <laughs> i mean i know for me personally when someone tells me i can't do something i'm like we'll see about that motherfucker um, so I, I hope I've had that impact on someone, some 17-year-old out there somewhere. But, yeah, it, it's funny watching the sport having evolved and seeing it from the front row seat. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I still think that it will evolve in different directions, but where they go is yet to be seen. You have electrification now coming in, which is an interesting new uh, technological, um, you know, uh, adjustment to what to what's happening. Whether that really is it a, an improvement, it's hard to know, but... Yeah, one one thing is true about the life that we all live is that change is the only guarantee. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm I'm actually going to jump straight in here and ask this question. You're just talking about the electric bike. Now, you tried to build your own bike. Um, yes. You were so far ahead of the curve on this one. I feel like Levi's kind of 
picked up what you were trying to do and he's he's running with it and he's doing a fucking good job as well but uh tell us about that yeah so in 2002 when i created the brand unit my brother was going through university and he designed the skycraft bike which is a carbon fiber freestyle motocross bike so this is this is 18 19 years ago and we had no money it literally had no money um so we built the unit brand on the back of the skycraft concept and we could not find anyone prepared to build it um years later we did build it it cost a hundred thousand dollars a full carbon fiber uh it was a ktm two-stroke 250 engine with carbon rims uh titanium everything uh we collaborated with red bull and triple eight racing in brisbane now that bike launched just before unit basically imploded and that bike is still in brisbane in triple eight and i can't say too much right now uh but there will be something new coming in that in that chapter and that bike is amazing i'm the only one that's ever ridden it and and yeah so this is a world's first for you that wow that bike is uh incredible to ride the the way it breaks and i never no one's jumped it you know it has not been jumped but it you can pick it up in your arms you can just walk up to it like it's 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 like a 65 and just pick it up and just throw it around like you've never seen someone really unless you're like seven foot tall pick up a dirt bike and like put it in the back of the ute you can pick it up and put it in the ute like on your own that's how light it is I mean, um, Harry Bink can do that anyway with any bike, but uh, or Kane Saul. Um, yes. <laughs> but it's good guys. if the rest of us can do it. That would yeah, be and, awesome. and a normal human can do it. So yeah, so look, I can't say much, but there is um, some some uh, let's say some chatter uh, detected uh, by the um, you know uh, what should I say here. Let's just say there's some information coming down the line on that. <laughs> Mate, that is all. Well, I didn't see. This is why I didn't write a, a bunch of questions for today because I knew things would go pear shaped real quick if I did. So, wait, there you go. But hang on. So, you're telling me the Skycraft was the reason unit started? Well, or, or was it because I it was, I don't know, or at the same time, like half yeah. of, half the reason. So the it, it's it is half the reason. So as a child, I I grew up in Papua New Guinea racing dirt bikes against American missionaries, and then my other love was art. So my natural kind of trajectory in life was I'm going to build a brand that involves art and dirt bikes, my two loves. And so when I came to Australia as a 17 year old, um, I loved wearing Fox, and I thought to myself. What's a fox got to do with riding dirt bikes? I reckon I can build a better logo than that shit. Um, and I did. <laughs> and I got a B minus. I got a B minus for the unit's star logo in design college, uh, which is a which is a spark plug exploding in an engine. Um, and so I had a couple hundred bucks and my brother was an industrial designer. I'm a graphic designer. And he had been developing this bike concept. And I said to him, look, why don't we theoretically build your bike and I'll build this brand and we'll pull our funds, which was a combination of 600 bucks. And we launched unit with a CAD rendered, uh, world's lightest freestyle, super like freestyle bike made of carbon. And uh, we thought we'd build it in a couple of years. We thought, you know, when you're a kid, you think anything's possible. And that's what I love. And I hope kids never lose that. I hope, you know, that ability to think that anything's possible stays with young people. Um, 
and it actually is possible and you know we proved it but it takes maybe a little bit longer than your young mind <laughs> would like to think um so yeah we launched unit with a with a skycraft concept um in collaboration with each other my brother and i and um we put an ad in Freerider magazine, which everyone might may remember from back in the day, and and our business kicked off from there. And it, it took us eight years to build that bike, um, maybe even a little bit longer. And um, yeah, we we had an incredible ride, and uh, it, it was partially it was fifty percent of the reason it started. Man, I I actually didn't know that because I wasn't really going to talk too much about Unit today because I'm sure you've had these questions over and over and over for the last however many years. Um, but that actually, I guess maybe I missed that in another news article or another, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I really didn't know that that was 50% of the reason of unit. Yeah, look, that, that was the beginning. And I mean, it, in the, in the end, we got swamped with such growth with our apparel business that the bike, we could never quite find the right combination of people to build it until Red Bull came along later in, in, in the time, uh, in the story. But uh, yeah, our apparel business exploded. Um, I mean, even so, I say exploded, but it did take a couple of years to get going. But uh, we we started with um, $600 and built a business with 100 staff. And within eight years, we were doing, you know, enormous numbers that I still think, wow, like we actually, how did we do that? <laughs> you know, um, and the world just embraced it. And uh, Australia was looking for something that was an alternative to Fox as a brand with a bit more edge. Um, you know, I wasn't afraid to put, you know, quite provocative um, <laughs> themes in my art and, and, and push the status quo and challenge what's censored. You know, in today's day and age, I wonder whether I'd get away with 10% of what I got away with back then, um, which I think is really sad. I feel like the world's in a very, you know, homogenized, uh, sterilized way at the moment. And uh, yeah, back then we just didn't give a fuck and we got away with a lot of stuff and people love that. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, I hope that there's still other people that believe in, in that like I do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Actually, I do want to talk about that sort of stuff. That's that's really the interesting part for me is your mentality of pushing pushing everything. You you push buttons, you push the envelope, you push everything. But I was just thinking before we move on from the bike, I'm just remembering now you were sponsoring Levi, right? Yes, yep. Because he jumped his bike into Shuey's Dam, and I spoke about this on, I think, the podcast I had with him. He jumped his bike into Shuey's Dam on your big photo shoot day with him for joining the brand. Um, I backed his ute into a power pole on that day as well. He had a really shit day. <laughs> That's not the point. The, the point was he's now building the bike that well, he's building his own bike. He's building it from what he's learnt over his career and what he thinks would make it better. Imagine if you could go back in time and build the Skycraft with Levi having all of his input and he'd probably make everything himself out of carbon fiber and you wouldn't have needed uh triple eight racing. You wouldn't have needed Red Bull. You'd just Levi's out in the back shed and just uh, see what he's come up with. Well, Levi is an incredible talent and, um, yeah, watching his career go from him, him being a tiny little teenager to, to getting to the top of the sport was amazing. And I think his ability to build 
this bike that he's got is going to be amazing to watch uh, as well. But yeah, if I had a time machine, there would be a million things that I'd be plugging in and, and adjusting and, and tinkering with. Um, you know, we, we did have a very talented uh, Italian uh, race car engineer who built like so we had a, a bespoke carbon fiber swing arm. Uh, the fuel tank is in the frame, you know, like it was very, very new age. And this is, this is 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, like it, there's a bladder in the actual frame that, that has the, um, the fuel. Um, and yeah, so it would be cool to connect with Levi again. You know, we sponsored him for maybe 10 years and, and uh, he was a, a, probably our highest paid athlete for quite a few years. Um, and so, yeah, it would be cool to maybe collaborate and, and, and build some, uh, you know, who knows, some Frankenstein thing that's, you know, for 2021, who knows? And, and Levi, if you're listening, let, let's catch up, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's got plenty of time sitting sitting in the shed there just tinkering away. So hopefully he's listening to some podcasts. He's probably not. He probably needs to actually think about what he's doing. Um, <laughs> but since you did bring up everything pushing the envelope, you did. You did way back in the days. Um with unit i mean the the big one that i remember and i think everybody remembers is the fruit loops girl i don't even know how that was a problem because for me i i didn't see it as a problem i probably can understand it 15 years later um you know the world has changed i can see where it probably did cross a few people's lines um but it wasn't that bad but i did hear a little story that you might have been involved in making that a bigger deal than it was well yeah i mean the the funny thing with that was you know because there was food involved with sex it, it kind of perplexed people you know you're seeing this girl and for people who don't know this image it's a unit model with big boobs with a green unit hat laying in a um, vintage bathtub with milk and she's surrounded in fruit loops like a big cereal bath i actually got into a lot of trouble um there's a photo of me drinking, um, eating the Fruit Loops out of the uh, the bath. I got in a lot of trouble for that. Uh, I won't go into the details. <laughs> from from well, who? Well, I won't. I won't elaborate. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but um, yeah, the image itself was just hilarious, and people. It was so funny. Watch like we put up a big billboard of that, you know, in a certain place, and just watching people react to it for the first time. And the Advertising uh, Standards Bureau in Australia said that uh, I think their exact words were, uh, "This advertising has no relevance to selling hats." Uh, we do not understand why the woman who appears happy is in a bathtub with her genitalia covered by breakfast cereal. And this is uh, uh, gratuitous and over, overly sexualized. Um, and therefore, we, we are banning it. And so I wrote a retort to that, stating that uh, we, we thanked the, the board for their obvious wisdom and, and sound understanding of today's youth. And um, we wish them all the best. And so we, there was, we put their letter and our letter on the same poster and then sold that. And then it went all over like the, the you know, Channel 7 and Channel 9 news. It was on a current affair. I got interviewed and we sold out of everything in like a few days, like everything. The warehouse went from like half full to empty in, yeah, a matter of days. And, and that, that's what I think yeah, is interesting about the world is the idea of offending people and, and uh, if you can trigger these sensitivities that people have, and it was not pornography, you know, like she, she didn't, she just had some big boobs and, you know, you couldn't see anything, but for some reason it just captivated people. And, um, 
Yeah, I mean, it was weird, like just going into the supermarket to buy seven packets of Fruit Loops and a big, you know, um, couple of containers of milk. It felt weird at the time, like, are we actually doing this? But then like, you know, in the end, the photo was amazing. And um, we put the photo on board shorts and t-shirts and, you know, dog collars. I mean, we didn't literally, but we put on everything and it just went crazy. And um, I still own that photo, like that personal, that photo belongs to me. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's funny. If I look on the internet now and I look at Fruit Loop Bath, there's hundreds of photos of people who've copied it. Um, and that, that actually led on to the swine flu um, promotion, which I don't know if you're aware of, but that, that was even bigger. So, which one was that? Yeah, so in 2009 when the swine flu happened, um, you know, the media loved it because we were all going to die of swine flu. And I thought to myself, I'll just make unit swine flu masks. And so we, we just hand-painted. I do remember that, yes. Yes, so I just hand-painted these, these, these masks with our logo. And by chance, our neighbour in our um, industrial estate was a butcher. And I rung him and I said, mate, when do you get the dead pigs in? And uh, he, had, he said to me that tomorrow, like at 11 a.m., we get all this you know, delivery of dead pigs. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to get a, I'm going to, I said to him, just, do you mind if I bring a bikini model in to do a photo shoot? And yeah, this, this guy's like a 50 year old butcher. He's like, oh yeah, that's probably oh, going to be fine. <laughs> that would have been really hard to get past him. He, I'm he sure. was, he was struggling to say yes. And in the end, I kind of convinced him. <laughs> and anyway, yeah, we, we, this girl, Amanda Hinchcliffe, who I'm a mate made of till to this day, great girl. She, she uh, had just won Hawaiian Tropic the day before, or like that week, I think it was. And anyway, we, we threw her in the uh, in this butcher's, uh, you know, fridge. In the cold room. Yeah. All, in the cold room. And all the cameras were nearly about to break. We nearly broke all the equipment just from the coldness. Uh, I got this photo of her with the swine flu mask, boobs, and all these dead pig carcasses behind her. And it was just, you know, swine uh, clothing brand launches swine flu mask. And my PR agent, um, we launched it um as a as a stunt really and then i got a call at 4 a.m in the morning and i'm not a morning person and i'm like who the hell is ringing me at four in the morning who, this better be freaking good anyway he's like dude look at your email so i look at my email and that story had run all over the world in every publication in every media outlet from greenland to the falkland islands like it was out of control um and they got it put up in times square in new york <clears throat> Yeah, like in the Jumbotron. And um, within about 48 hours, we got an email from PacSun, who is the world's largest action sports retailer, 700 doors in America, who were in my business plan. I wrote down in my business plan, I want to be in PacSun in 2015. They emailed us in 2009 after they saw that image. And we flew over there to see them and wrote a million dollar check. Well, they wrote us a million dollar check for stock that 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 day, basically. And and we ran. That was how we launched America from one fucking silly photo. With what twenty four hours notice maximum that the pigs are coming in tomorrow. I, my son was born that night, and I was watching. So I'm, I have my no. My, my, so I, I was watching the news. My newborn son was born, and I was watching swine flu is going to kill us all. And I literally thought of the whole idea, and I rung my my butcher, um, and then organized the whole thing for the next day. And we shot it all in about an hour. And um, yeah, it was like a weird like cross section of all these moments of my life. And 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 then yeah, it went. It went crazy, and and so and and following on from that, now my younger brother, I've got another brother who's only twenty five now, and he has his own um, mask company, 
And I think subconsciously he got that from, from me from back in the day. And he did that for the bushfires when they were here in, in Australia. And then a few months later, COVID happened. So he's, he, I think he's done, you know, like huge numbers just in, in, in face masks. Um, and I think, yeah, that, that was somehow, you know, it, it may have been sparked by those days back in 2009 when we were doing them. So funny how the world works. Man, that's so crazy to hear that. And, and this is the thing I think in business and in life in general, it can just be that, that one moment you can plan for it. And like you said, you actually did well to even say in your business plan, you want to be in Pack Sun by 2015, even to write that in, that's that's a big deal. Like that's a massive lofty goal to be shooting for. Um, mm. And it happened so many, many, many years earlier. Um, things just happen in life. And well, I, I guess you just have to put yourself in the right place. You have to do the right things to put yourself in the right place that it may, that it may happen. Here's the funny thing about the world. Like there is magic in, in our reality. And I feel like if you're ambitious enough to go for really big goals, the beauty of those goals is, there's less competition for them because no one else believes it's possible. And, you know, I think it's a Steve Jobs quote. He's like, if you're crazy enough to believe you can change the world, you probably can. And the bigger goals have less competition. And I want people to remember that. And I think that's what always inspired me was going, what, why can't, why can't it be me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why, why not me? Why can't I do that? And so that, that really was a profound moment for me at some point in my teenage years. I, like I, I spoke, you know, it came from BMX to me, like as a youngster, when I came across BMX and I was like, Oh, like I'd love to do that sport. And then I learned to build jumps by hand and then dig them and then practice and practice and practice and practice. And then eventually I got good at BMX and I won a race and then I won the national title. This is in Papua New Guinea where, you know, to, to inoculate this, it's not, it's not Australia. It's, it's a very small country. So winning a national title in Papua New Guinea isn't that great, but, but nonetheless, I decided. Still good, mate. Still good. Yeah. (laughs) What I'm getting at is like, I decided that I wanted to be good at that thing. I put the work in and I became the best in that country at, at BMX. And then in my life, I applied that same theory in my business practice. So it's like do the hard work, pay the price, and and write down your goals ambitiously and go for them. And if you're lucky and you work, I'm not going to say if you're lucky, you make your own luck, and I fully believe that. Um, you also make your own bad luck um, as well by the same token. But, yeah, believe in the impossible and go for it. And, um, yeah, I think so much of just writing down your goals. So there's a famous quote um, Three percent of, sorry, let me let me remember what it is. Yeah, ninety-seven um, percent of people don't write down their goals and write, and so they they work for the other three percent that do. <laughs> Good quote. Yeah. That's I, I think Brian Tracy came up with that, and I feel like that's you know, um, there's a lot of truth in that, and so just being able to crystallize your idea of what you want to achieve and writing that down. Um, has worked for me in so many ways. And um, yeah, it's it's something, we are in a magical reality. We live in a weird matrix reality sub um, simulation, whatever you want to call it, where amazing stuff can happen. And if you're prepared to put the work in, you can do it. Man, you're absolutely right. And that's that's one thing I've kind of tried to think about as well. Like 
I, I haven't achieved the hugest things in the world, but I haven't really lived a normal life either as a, as a working adult. Um, I, I just didn't want to have a real job. That's all, all my goals were, was not to have a real job. And I'd say I'm still doing that fairly well. Um, I mean, I call everything a project. It's not a job because everything is a project to me. Um, but I feel like if I do what I kind of need to do, I'm at least in the right place. If something does come up, I can say yes. If I, if the opportunity can't even be put in front of me, then I've done, I haven't done the right thing to be in the right place. If you know what I mean? Like I I'll say yes to pretty much everything. And then maybe I'll find out, ah, oh, that was a bad thing, a bad idea or a bad project or whatever. And I can pull out later. Um, but you've got to kind of say yes first. You've got to be, you've got to put yourself in the right position for when those opportunities come. And I guess you, you just went and did it. I guess you probably thought, like you said, are we even doing this? Are we taking this photo of a hot girl in a cold room with pigs? Are we doing it? And you did. And then, yeah, what, 12 hours later, you get this email, you put yourself in a position where it was probably going to cross a few lines and maybe upset people or blew everybody away and made a news article and went viral. So yeah, that, that particular, um, you know, uh, project, I think it had sex and fear, you know, it was like, you're going to die of swine flu. And here's this beautiful girl with big boobs, you know, so the media love that, right? Because the media want to make you afraid. And they want to also grab your eyeballs with gratuitous sexual imagery. So it had both of those elements in it. And I, I guess over the years, I've become fairly hypersensitive to what I see the media do. Um, and the media can be our friend and our vast enemy. And I think that in the last you know, 10 years, I think the media are actually having a negative impact on reality. Um, and we need to defund the media. Uh, if there's anything we need to do as a society, that is the first thing we should do. Um, but that's getting off topic. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it, it is, uh, you know, important to not get a real job. Like, you know what I mean? Like most people go to a job they hate and they drive an hour to that job and an hour home and they fucking hate it. And to anyone out there that's going through that, look around, like do that job for as little, you know, if you have to, but then have that side hustle going on that's going to get you out of that thing. And it doesn't have to be making the next Apple or Nike or unit or whatever, but just, yeah, think outside the box and, and um, do that crazy idea that you never dreamed of because, um, you know, regretting not doing it is going to cost a lot more psychologically later than you realize and time goes by so fucking fast you have no idea how quickly time and it speeds up time speeds up as you age so get into it and do it now and write it down and go for it and you you don't have time to fuck around and watch maths or watch master chef or any of that bullshit on television if you if you find yourself in that zone if your girlfriend likes it and you know you need to do the girlfriend <laughs> thing okay you know and i'm guilty of that at times and my girlfriend's listening to this now going you know you have watched maths and i have but there's a <laughs> there is there is a like a, a moment where you have to pull yourself up and go time is of the essence and and nothing comes about without i like this expression um intent sorry action times intent equals reality yeah you know and and i I actually came up with that um and that's how i feel like life works is like it has to be actioned it can't just be intent 
both of those elements can collaboratively create your reality and your brain is a reality generator. Man, I feel like we should jump off this call because I've got so many, I've got so many projects that I, I'm kind of halfway through and I really should just do them right now. You've just, right. That's it. We, we, <laughs> I, I'm feeling a bit too pumped up now talking to you. I, oh, damn. But it's, it's so true. It's so true. I, as you're saying all of that, I'm just thinking about everything I want to do. And I do think of the time I have wasted. I also think that there's a lot of things that I want to do and I do need to think about them. And I like taking the time to process it before I make action. Um, I'm maybe for me, I think too much. And I think, and that is a weakness of mine. I, I probably think too much and I don't act and maybe I do miss the time, but I feel like I've done that the whole, that, that is who I am. It took me six years to do a damn backflip to dirt. I missed the glory years of doing backflips for shows. I, uh, we're not going to talk about how much money I ran out, uh, missed out on, but, um, I, I feel like I, I definitely think too much, but at least the ideas are there. And talking to people like you and listening to many others like yourself say those kind of things, it, it definitely gets me pumped up to. Yeah, look, uh, you know, at and, least and don't get feel more guilty. action. Don't, don't feel guilty for that. I feel like, you know, it, it is, you know, I, I've got another theory. Like, let's say, let's say there's like an idea that's in reality, like, and, and God or whatever the super consciousness is throws it down to two people on earth, you know, like I can do a triple backflip. And so someone in Argentina gets the idea and someone in New Zealand gets the idea. And, and, you know, like you need to be that conduit where God looks down and throws that elect that, that like lightning bolt at you, you know, and, and, and then act on it, you know? And so I feel like your, you know, your, your goal in life and your role in life is to sort of be that, that place. Like songwriters talk about that. Like, why didn't I get that song? Like if you hear like, you know, top, top musicians, they're like, why did Coldplay get that song yellow? Like that should have been like, why the Oasis guys like that's, that should be my song or like you twos like Bono's like, man, that was my song, you know, like uh, that you guys wrote, you know, like, they're like trying to like, you know, channel these, these ideas from the ether and you just need to be in that lineup trying to bring in that, that, that idea. Because when people say to me, where do I get my ideas? I don't fucking know. I really don't know. But all I do know is that I'm completely open-minded to receiving them. And I love, like, I get excitement out of like just the slightest sniff of an idea. And I think, oh, what could that be? And how could we do, how could we do something with that? And, and yeah, just, just be, be um, receptive to ideas and then act on them fast. And if you are that person that's crazy enough to go, like Jed Milden rung me and he goes, I think I can do the world's first triple backup on a BMX. And just the way he spoke to me on the phone, I was like, this motherfucker is going to do this. And he goes, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, dude, how much do you need? He goes, dude, I'm going to need like in his Kiwi accent. He's like, oh, about 10 grand. And I was like, <laughs> and I was, I was like, I literally put the phone to my side of my head and like, I said to my brother, can we send 10 grand to New Zealand to get old mate to do a triple backflip? And we pretty much did the deal that, that minute. And it was, it was the sonic audio of his voice. The belief in his voice told me that that was a worthy spend. And we didn't have that much money back then. And, you know, and, and we just sent him 10 grand in, in, you know, over, wired it across to New Zealand just because he thought he could do a backflip. And so, and here's another funny story. 
in his practicing to do the world's first triple backflip on a BMX, he busted his um, his bike like twice and he had to borrow forks and handlebars off some kid who happened to be watching. So he, <laughs> he did the world's first triple backflip on a BMX with borrowed handlebars and forks. And no one even knows that. Um, after, and I, after destroying his own. Yeah, and he built scaffolding. Like the 10 grand we gave him built this huge scaffolding that was like, you know, like I don't know how many high stories high it was. But, you know, like it's just getting to that thing of like he had this like vision of what he thought was possible. He believed in his ability to do it and he knew that I could help him in achieving that. And I was receptive to find Like I want my athletes to ring me going, dude, I'm going to do this fucking crazy thing. Like I want my marketing staff to come into the office and break down my door and be like, Paul, let's fucking do this dude, you know? And like, I cray, I'm like, dude, that's what, that's what I'm like. I'm normally doing it to them. I'm like, I walk into my brother's office or my other, you know, like people that I work with and I'm like, guys, let's do this. And then normally if everyone says no, I know it's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> oh, so I, okay. That's good to know because a, a lot of the ideas I come up with get told no pretty quickly. And it's I'm true. sure of them. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% sure of all the ideas I've got, but I definitely get told no quite a lot. Um, but actually, just thinking of this, like you've been involved in a few of the ideas that I had, I and a friend of mine have had. First was the S&S FMX coaching because I was doing freestyle motocross coaching. Pff, what, 13, 14? Actually, I think I that started actually with... Um, what's his name from King of the Coast? I, I put the idea of coaching to him. And uh, he said, yeah, sounds great. So we started up the clinics like the day before Nationals and the day before King of the Coast. And then I was doing it with Motorcycling Australia um, and Shui jumped on board with it. And I believe you created that logo as well for us, for the coaching. So... So you were involved just on the logo side there. And then again, this was when Shuey came back to me um, because I was kind of basically living there. I kind of feel sorry for him now. I look back like I was four or five days a week just living at his place. So poor him and Leslie. But uh, he was nearing the end of his career and he said, um, I want to build a moto park. I was like, okay. And I, I kind of... I also, in a way, went, nah, nah, that's too big. Like, what he was trying to tell me was huge. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then you know, the cogs kind of ticked around all for about two minutes. And I was like, yeah, this could work. He's like, well, you be the brains, I'll be the brawn. I was like, yeah, okay, let's give it a shot. It took five years. And in the end, it, it didn't work out that we did it privately. We did it with Motorcycling Queensland and with the Queensland government, the council of mayors, SEQ, da, 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 da. But you also created that logo for us as well. And you must've done that in about an hour or something like that. I remember Shui <laughs> sent you the idea for the logo and came yeah, straight I, back. That's true. And, and you know what, like, um, when I look at all the different riding parks around Southeast Queensland now, I've done all their logos <laughs> and I actually, and I don't even charge them for it. I, 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 yeah, purely, I don't think we paid no. for the QMP logo. And, no. I, and I did WMX. I did, um, 
there's a couple of other parks, Corralbin um, Mountain Bike Park, and I don't charge people for that. And that's my way of giving back to the sport because I know I'm lucky I was talented with design. And if the industry is going to be improved by something that takes me one hour, and I, I actually enjoy it. Like I, I enjoy designing stuff. To me, it's um, fun. And so, yeah, like there's probably three or four parks around where I live now that I just, I just rang up and said, can I do your logo? And they're like, how much does that cost? And I'm like, no, free. I don't want to be paid for it. And, yeah. and yeah, and they still use those logos to this day. And, and I feel like, yeah, like that's another like um, cool thing about life. If you, if you're lucky enough to have a skill that you've developed and you can, you can just give that to people and like, just be like, no, nope, I don't want anything for it. This is literally just, you know, I'm helping, helping the industry. Um, it feels good. It feels better to give in so many ways. And as I've gotten older, I've learned that more and more, like giving is the best feeling. And um, yeah, I mean, I haven't, you know, um, it's not like I've given to charity like billions of dollars, so I can't like claim that sort of thing. But um, <laughs> we, you know, like I don't want this to sound beyond what it is. But uh, mind you, with Unit, we did give a lot of money away to various charities in other in other forms. But if you have a skill and you can help someone with that, um, that feels great, you know. And I mean, you have a commercial reality, you still have to pay the rent. And I, and to this day, I still do design work for people and charge for it. But if it's for a local BMX club, I'll do it for free. And I'll enjoy every second of it. And it'll take me one day, maybe maybe an hour, maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the cool part about all of it, I think. Um, and actually, this is, that's actually a really good point that you just said with, okay, not give, yes, you gave away money to don't, uh, charities, which is fantastic, but also you. I I look back on the old days. I was never sponsored by a unit. Um, I always wanted to, but wanted to be. But I I did go with other brands um, because they could pay me quite well, and I don't believe I was even worth being paid at that point. But hey, um, it was it was up for grabs, so I took it. Um, but I was always within the realm of unit because you guys supported Freerider magazine. I was paid by Freerider magazine to write. I was going to the competitions. It, pretty much every competition in Australia was sponsored by unit. So you were supporting me in one way, even though there wasn't a logo on my bike or whatever. I mean, I did wear that shirt the first comp because <laughs> I... I turned up to a comp. I, I didn't even know what was going on. I didn't. I I I even had to get pants given to me by Andy Christie because I didn't have moto pants, uh, and I was just wearing like cut off shorts and cut guards, you know, full freestyle. But apparently, I had to have full moto gear or something, or at least pants. And you gave me a, a unit shirt, and um, so I've always kind of been within the realm of unit, but I was never part of it. But I. I and I think everybody in Australia has been influenced by your generosity and sponsorship. And I think it definitely helped to push where freestyle is right now is because of what you did 10, 15, 20 years ago. Do you, do well, you yeah. look back on that and think about that at all? Like, I, I, I don't know if you would even, even think about it, but it's like, yeah, you're a massive part of look, uh, yeah, FMX. I, I, in the early days of um, Australian freestyle, there was like a couple of pillars. You know, you had Freerider magazine, which I used to design before I started Unit. That was my that was my day job. I designed Freerider for the first. Uh, I think I designed issue nine to twenty, and so oh. 
Yeah, so you might not have known that. Yeah, I, I designed. I did Yeah, yeah. So I was in. I was heavily in freerider for for a year and a half, and then read. And then I ended up doing that that magazine company. So they had Morrison Media. They had Surfing Life and various other action sports yeah. magazines. And I said to them, "Do you guys mind if I do all your screen printing? I, I know a little bit about screen printing, and I made all their freerider T-shirts and Surfing Life T-shirts and and other other things." Red Bull saw one of my T-shirts and then started giving me design work um but yeah i'm getting off topic here but, but effectively freerider was um, a pillar unit became a pillar and then the events were another pillar and so we had um a, a you know magazine media company a an apparel brand and events trifecta and these three things were all developing a industry and we, I think we're in the, yeah, we were probably overly generous in a lot of ways. Like, you know, if I look back and how, and how generous we were, you know, any, an accountant would have been like, dude, you just, it's really, you're spending five grand in, you know, Gundawindi for this event. <laughs> uh, so, you know, like it, it, I take, I take um, what you said very humbly, like, and, and, you know, we, we did, we wanted to push the sport and we, Ian and my and myself, my brother and I, we, we were never greedy about, you know, having ivory towers and, and we had lots of toys in the end, like later down the track, but we were very generous with the sport and with the athletes. And I was paying riders $100,000 a year. Like some of the top guys were on 100K. And that's like unheard of, you know, even in America. Um, so we were very generous. And with the sport, uh, sorry, with events, we were the same. Um, but uh, yeah, th those those early days helped to develop the sport and help breed top Aussie talent, Robbie Adelberg and various other people that we helped bring in. Robbie Madison was one of our first athletes. And uh, yeah, they became the best in the world in many ways. And, and yeah, we had a very small part to play in that. And uh, it was amazing to, uh, to say that we got to be a part of it. Back. You back? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm here. I got you. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. No, they just dropped out. So yeah, just uh, tying off where we were there. Yeah. Um, those early years, I think, uh, in in any scene, a lot of the early industries and the the early companies involved help spearhead. You know, if you look in America, you know, like I would say, SMP and uh, Motocross Action Magazine and um, LBZ, uh, you know, Moto Triple X, Krusty Demons, like those guys held, you know, Metal Militia. Those those brands helped forge this new thing that happened, and we were the Australian equivalent. Uh, down here and um, yeah what a time it was <laughs> yeah absolutely well I, I would like to get off the the unit sort of chat but I do know um, a lot of people I guess the the most intriguing part was how big it got and then the the fall um, I don't want to go into it too much but I do know that is also a part of your story and a part of the story of everything uh, because I do want to talk about Thriller and, and everything else you do. But um, just tell us how how actual big did Unit get and what was the timeline from getting so big and the reasons why you think uh, it dropped? Yeah, I think it's um, – the term oversaturation is a problem with fashion, right? So – an old surf guy said to me in California one day, he's, a, he's an Aussie guy living in um, Huntington Beach. And he sat us down, my brother and I, and this is like 2010. And he's like, in his kind of quasi Aussie American acts, he's like, guys, like, 
size is the enemy of cool. Size is the enemy of cool. And we're like, what do you mean? He's like, so the bigger you get, the less cool you become. And that's what happened to Unit. We became so saturated in Australia that the brand became too mundane. It was, it was, it was in it. What was weird about Unit was people were tattooing that shit all over themselves, like tattooing. Oh, like, I remember is, everybody getting it. Yeah, and 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 that that's probably the thing that separated us is we were more of a religion than a brand because we were against you know like I said to my design team and my marketing team we're rage against the machine we are you know one life one chance we are beyond we don't just put t-shirts on you we we, we have meaning and we, we're we're like we're all alive we're we, you live for thirty three thousand days how do you maximize that experience and that should exude itself through our range and so that that is what. I guess brought about people really like literally tattooing. I have, I have folders of unit tattoos through our, through the years, you know, and big brands that are around today, they don't, people don't tattoo that shit on themselves, but they did with our brand. And that was because we were real. We weren't a corporate boardroom bunch of, you know, bureaucrats sitting around bean counters with you know all that we were just a couple of punks from the gold coast <laughs> who listened to bill hicks ramstein you know guns and roses and you know like we we're very much you know connected to what um life is and and like riding bikes and so that realness was what people loved but it became so big and it became like i remember sitting down in a restaurant and there was five other people around me with the same t-shirt on you know at one night and it's like how you know like you can't go any bigger than this like this is the ceiling you know and so that became a stigma to the brand and and we became too big and so it became a bad thing. The brand had a, had a stigma to it. We were doing naked girls on shirts, which was a real trend that came in. And I enjoyed taking those photos as any <laughs> red-blooded man would. I would never do that now. No, of course not. No, no now I'm never, never do that. <laughs> but yeah, like it's, um, it's, it's a funny story. And, and I think, yeah, like we want Entrepreneur of the Year. So like we got a lot of fame through like, you know, being these two kids, my brother and I that started with 600 bucks and we're turning over large, large amounts of money and like buying houses and sports cars and all these things and all, all, all our dreams came true. And so people don't like that. In Australia, there's that term tall poppy syndrome. And I feel, you know, that that did happen to us. We, we, we sort of, there was an anti-unit Facebook page with 17,000 followers. So we had Whoa. a, there was a hate group. That's a lot of hate. Yeah, and they would mention my name. I don't know any of these people. I don't know any of you. And, the, you know, so you see your name mentioned in some thread with people, yeah, this, 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 and, and so you think, I, if you met me, you'd probably like me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, but, like, there's these people, like, you know, just waging in on, like, yeah, just hate. And, and um, But in, in the years since, and I know people with brands now that are even bigger than you in it who, who deal with hate, and I say to them, those people don't hate you. They're obsessed with you. They're they're infatuated by you. Don't get discouraged and don't don't feel bad because they are emotionally captivated by you. And um, you aren't perfect, and you aren't you know um, you know some something like that. But like it, it is amazing that hate does create such um, and social media is they can do that from the from the comfort of their own house. And so 
and athletes go through it as well you know like it's part it's part of parcel of just becoming something that people know so that was very difficult going through that we did try and do retail stores so that was a very bad decision going into retail you know i think that that strung us out actually um, running the store yourself yeah having eight stores of our own around australia um and it wasn't something that came naturally to us like if you're good at retail then you succeed at it but that really hurt us um and i mean for me i was i was in a very um toxic relationship at that time like my wife and i had gone in different directions in life and and she's a great girl you know and she's a great mom but at the time the two of us weren't connecting so i was in a very bad place personally um there's other things I can't really bring up in a public forum yeah. that I went through and yeah, like the whole thing just collapsed, you know, and, and, um, it needed to, and I, and I still wouldn't change it. Um, I learned so much. Um, and sometimes you need to have your dreams taken away from you to realize how real life is. So in the end, it was one of the best things for you. Well, I'm in a happier place now, you know, and I still have problems. Like I'm still like everyone else. Like I still, you know, today was a tough one for me for various other reasons. <laughs> but I, I, I am uh, in a happier place now than I was as a multi multi millionaire years ago in a in a situation that was so high pressure. Um, and I, I right now I live for what's coming. And I also know how to set up a business so that I can still enjoy it. And my family, the people I care about, are number one, you know, and they are my, what I get out of bed for and why we do what we do. And making another million dollars is less important than going to Fraser Island that, that summer holiday with the family. You know what I mean? And, and I, didn't, I didn't have that priority right with the unit. I was always about... I want to build my business and we're going to do this. And then, you know, and I, I, I've made many mistakes, you know, and, and my priorities are out, outside of where they should have been. And, and um, yeah, it was, it was a tough ride for someone who's never run a business, you know, going through, you know, you don't think all your dreams are going to come true. You hope they do, but you know, yeah. it doesn't always happen. And um, I learned heaps, man. I learned so much. And, and now I can apply all that knowledge to what's happening in my new brand thriller uh, which is which is so fun and um, really getting exciting now. Well, tell us about Thriller because, the, I mean, we were trying to hook up and talk probably six months ago and then life always gets in the way. And then I just saw the other day that, uh, yeah, you're putting this new brand Thriller up for the first round of investments and you put that out publicly. And I thought, whoa. Okay, hang on. Uh, now I need to have a bit of a chat here with Paul and see what the hell's going on. So first question, straight away, what is Thriller? Yeah, so Thriller is um, a, a new brand, a new concept that uh, will encapsulate the thrill of riding bikes. That's, that's what it's about. It's, it, is, it is an understanding of this limited time we human beings have on Earth and... Uh, these two wheel machines that we all get to ride and that we've all personally, you know, um, you know, involved our lives around. Uh, it's a celebration of that. And people say to me, is this, is this another unit? And I say, no, this is, this is a more uh, contemporary and uh, I would say cleaner <laughs> um, modern version of 
my celebration of what two wheel sport has done in my life and where I think it's going to go. Uh, and it's also an opportunity. It's a canvas for me to put artwork and design work down. So I, I have very cerebral design and artwork stuff that's very deep and it's very difficult to put that on t-shirts. So at this current moment, our range is, is not, uh, you know, contemporary art on t-shirts, which is something that um, you'll see start to happen later with this brand. But uh, it is a new twist to what has become a pretty boring segment. I don't look around and see brands that I feel like I'm getting excited over. Like I think there's, there's um, you know, some new brands like Fast House is, is obviously out there in America and they're, they're sort of making waves and, and um, getting some, some traction and, um, we're all building this this industry and this sport, and I'm like, I'm going to get back in and do this. I'm just going to jump back in the mix and go for this. And uh, with Unit, I started with $600, and so my plan with um, with Thriller is to bring in some capital. Uh, I have some of my own capital that I've invested, obviously, and, and most of that came from Unit. So Thriller is yeah. the child of Unit in some ways, um, uh, and. Yeah, we we've had an amazing reaction, and the plan is to, uh, yeah, build build some capital and and take this new brand uh, to the world. Do you have lofty goals for Thriller like you had for Unit? I I have even lofty- bigger, or have you changed those goals? Are they completely Look- different types of goals? It's a great question you asked that. And so my, my reaction to that is um, I do have lofty goals for Thriller, um, in a word. I also have um, pivoting goals for Thriller. Um, okay. A lot of stuff I can't really go into details on because they're still in, in its infancy. Uh, but I've taken great stock of what the industry is and what other industries coexist with um action sport and so you will see this brand evolve quite amazingly over the next five years and uh we've you know like we easily double what unit did in its first six months you know um of its life and uh it's still a small brand we're still just you know getting going but uh yeah it's so good to not have my first rodeo. This is my second rodeo. So I'm taking all of those, all of those uh, lessons. And um, yeah, I mean, ambitious goals are a double-edged sword because you can put too much pressure on oneself. Um, but if you're going to have a goal, have a lofty one is what I say. You know, otherwise, why, why, why do you get out of bed in the morning? Like Elon Musk is like, you know, why people say to him, why are you going to Mars? And he's like, because I want to get out of fucking bed. Yeah, you know, yeah. I want to get out of bed and go and do something fucking awesome, you know. And I, I, I don't know how to build a rocket, otherwise I would. <laughs> uh, but that's what you know. Like I, I don't, I don't want to be here and just you know muck around and go to a job I hate. I'd rather do something that's going to be exciting and fun. And and I love these sports. And um, yeah, I can't say too much about how things will evolve, but I have some pretty interesting plans that people won't expect for it. You there, mate? I've just got to like. Plug in my, yeah. uh, I got to plug my um, PowerPoint in. Sorry, <laughs> I I thought that might be the case. Man, it sucks. Uh, you're you're on a hell of a roll there. And again, I was getting all pumped up, and then, uh, <laughs> and, then and then you cut out. Oh but, damn! Uh, but no, I mean, I was just thinking, Elon Musk doesn't know how to make a rocket, but 
he knows the right people to put in charge of making that rocket. Would that be the same as well for Thriller? There'll be you, uh, you're getting in this investment to kick off at the start. I guess you didn't do that when you started Unit. So this is a completely different way of going about business. It absolutely is. And and with Unit, we my brother and I had $600, as I said, but uh, we never quite caught up to that because you end up having to uh, develop a, such a large bank account to fund your own growth. And so you end up choking yourself out through your own growth. So with, with Thriller, by bringing in capital, it means we can um, be ahead of the growth curve and and then apply that into other areas. And I mean, I'm a big believer too in having a goal and being prepared to deviate from that goal based on how the world changes and, and uh, the goal, sorry, the, the, the key is to have a goal and, and be heading in a direction and that direction may change. Um, and yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot easier when you have capital with you and experience you know like i don't think anyone would have invested in me as a 24 year old starting unit um but uh now having had the uh you know the rodeo and and the uh the the journey i'm a lot more a uh i'm probably a more um secure investment in in knowing how this works so uh and it's been amazing you know the reaction i've had so far we, we have um yeah an, an enormous amount of interest in that with that investment what what's the first kind of plan where do you go with with raising capital in a brand you've kind of you've just started you've you've sponsored a fair few uh young races um bmx i guess that's what you're into a lot at the moment um, yes where where do you go from kind of that doing doing um, logos for clubs and then sponsoring the riders at those clubs and then I think you even sponsored one of the clubs outright as well. Then what? Well, you start small, you know, and you you work from the grassroots up. So with this whole COVID scenario, BMX is booming. BMX is now one of the largest sports for families in Australia, and it's uh, we had an event in Sydney couple of weeks ago 750 riders um and it takes me back to my childhood and i look at what they're wearing when they're racing and that they're, they're still wearing leather motocross pants and stuff like that and it's like no this is we need to innovate the pants so actually i'm only four or five days from launching a new innovative bmx pant uh Whoa. yeah so you know it's it's technologically lifting what people are wearing and racing in now um and being the i guess yeah like the only option for people to if they want to be a serious racer they wear our stuff and if they want to look different and they want to have someone who's a designer like a lot of brands don't even have designers who are designing their product you know so um yeah we will start small and from small things big things can grow so bmx is our core sport at this moment motocross and uh uh mountain bike is is second but those those are also coming up and uh yeah i can't say a great deal about what's coming just with some of the um i guess yeah details but uh <laughs> You know, scaling a action sports brand is something I've done. And uh, the key is having 
good technology that looks good and is well priced and yeah that people uh, i guess have a gravity towards because it has a meaning beyond oh that's just a you know that's a scott jersey or that's a troy lee designs jersey and i'm not bagging those brands but there needs to be more of a um yeah, I think th there needs to be more of a religion and a meaning behind brands for people to really adhere to them. And um, yeah, developing that as we go is, is the key for us. The first thing that I think of straight away is, I guess, unit, you weren't so much, let's call it in protective equipment. Like the last podcast actually was with Nate Adams and, and he created the Deft Gloves which wasn't even a thing to have a glove company, but he created like race wear that he, that makes him ride better. Um, unit probably wasn't really like that unit was a brand. It was about creating, it was, it was kind of like your creative outlet outlet in a way, but straight away now with thriller, you're talking about pants that are innovative. So you're, you're going into something functional as well as something yes. That, yeah, creating a religion yeah. around a brand, around your ethos. Exactly right. And that's good. It's cool that you actually noticed that because um, Unit was very much my creative outlet for my own slightly deranged mind. <laughs> and, and, you know, I looked at T-shirts like a like a, a, a canvas, like a painting. And um, with Thriller, our racewear and our product, our functional product is our primary focus. And I think that's laying the foundations for where I want to take uh, the brand beyond. So you'll see more and more of that stuff come out later as we uh, yeah, build um, our fashion side of things. And um, yeah, I have a meeting with a very large retailer in the next uh, two weeks where we're going to, we haven't even approached wholesale. We've only been doing events and online. You know, we're in a proof of concept stage at this time, which has been really successful. Um, people who just like walked up to our stand in Sydney never knew, did not know about Thriller at all. We're like, what, what's this brand? And we're just like, oh, so this is a new brand and this is what we are. Instantly they're measuring up their kids to, to order jerseys. And so that proof of concept for me um, was really in abundance at that event. And so now it's scaling that and then, um, you know, we, we, we have plans of making helmets and, um, you know, uh, gloves, uh, you know, maybe we might make another dirt bike. I don't know. Maybe we will make a rocket. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to. <laughs> maybe Off to Mars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love, uh, yeah, the idea of yeah building stuff that, that hasn't been built. And um, yeah, but, but yeah, for me, like I love making a statement. I like having positive messages out there and um questioning the status quo I, I get quite political you know i look at what's happening in the world today and how censorship is taking over and even free speech is to to, to know that free speech is under attack in 2021 is mind-blowing to me it blows my mind with the amount of history we have as a species to know that free speech is under attack is just not acceptable um, and so I have, yeah, probably, um, bigger, bigger goals down the track with that sort of thing that, that, and normally that, that I, I do do murals and other contemporary art and, and that keeps me occupied, but, um, yeah, that does find its way into my t-shirt designs as well. Oh, well, exactly. <laughs> like that, that's you pushing the boundaries and pushing what's accepted, 
in the mainstream. Um, is that something where you'll go again with with thriller? Like, is is the virality that you created before things were called viral twenty years ago? You've obviously learnt those lessons and and you knew how to do them even back then, or you put yourself in the right position that they came off. Is that a a marketing tactic that you would use now or have you got other tools in your toolkit well yeah i think um those those sort of projects and and stunts so to speak that we did are something that um are part of my own psychology and my own personality and i would not hold back from using them in thriller depending on the situation um you know i have three kids now myself and so i'm not you know 21 without responsibility so that's it it was a different time but one it was a different time and two you were young yes um i guess get away with a lot more exactly so i mean look i do have other outlets um that i run anonymously where i can kind of say things um because of this cancel culture situation that we're in now all it takes is for one person to be offended and and you know msnbc will, will cancel you or youtube will cancel you so um survivability is also relevant to my mind and um the problem with truth is it's like getting shampoo on an airplane i think there's a song about it It, people don't like truth you know and it's it's a shame because truth is how we evolved it's how we came down from the trees it's how we move forward and at the moment we are actually going backwards um and so i have to just navigate my new brand, which is my livelihood with my own angst around the state of the world um, and the misinformation that exists there. So, yeah, I have other outlets where I can be um, provocative and truth telling without destroying my own you know, livelihood. And and that's the problem. Like, I feel sorry for any entertainer right now. Like, you know, John Cena did, did a movie and like mentioned Taiwan and next minute has to go and apologize in Chinese and you know, and so the Chinese government is now dictating American Hollywood stars what they can and can't say. And, and it's like, how did we get here? Yeah, I, I, I'm i with you on that. The survivability is probably the key word out of all of that. Um, you don't own your Facebook account. You don't own your YouTube. You don't own that. If they want to kick you because you've said the wrong thing or you've put the wrong ad up for your new brand or whatever that's it you're out oh Um, better make a new account and hopefully you can build it up and in this day and age trying to get past any algorithm whoo that's a tough job it is honestly and and for some reason silicon valley has become so woke and so left that it makes me think the artificial intelligence is already in control (laughs) all those (laughs) things and so yeah it, it really um it's a shame that they've they've grabbed a hold like that that political stance has has uh, got the uh, you know its hands around the throat of um, free speech and um, yeah I mean it, this is a whole topic for another fifteen yeah, hours exactly yeah um, but yeah it does tie into branding and, and and apparel and fashion and what you say and I like art that has meaning I don't like art that has decoration if your art is decorative I don't give a fuck I want you to say something and if I disagree with you I love that I love being able to say to someone. I disagree with your stance. I'm still your mate. Yeah. But I'm going to challenge you on those points. And even if we disagree, I'm still your fucking mate. You know, and I'm yeah. not. 
And if, if you disagree with me, I hope you can still be my friend, you know, and that doesn't seem to want to exist, you know, like it's like, oh, if we disagree about, you know, this topic, then we can't be friends. Like, no, that's not how we, that's not how we meant to live. It's meant to be a debate. Yeah, exactly right. And, and it's that fear, which I think probably hinders most brands. And actually, this is one question that I had from one of our listeners, Jessica, for, hey, uh, I hope I pronounced the name right. She's also <laughs> a graphic designer um, and she wanted to ask about building brands. But the question that I liked from her was, do you, do you have, how do you deal with the self-doubt of building a brand and it, in my mind that's why i brought it up now is that survivability the fear around what do you say with a brand because you're you say what you say and 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 it's awesome that you say it but do you have a fear of self-doubt that you're starting a brand or what you put out in that brand how do you deal with that yeah i think it's like anything like you can have self-doubt about starting a new job or, or anything. And, and uh, I, I believe it comes down to your own plan for your own life. Like what, what do you want to do in life and how are you mitigating the challenges that come along and um, having that belief in yourself and being prepared to build the airplane as you're taxiing down the runway. You know, you're never going to be able to build the Concorde in the hangar and then go and take it off that life doesn't give you that luxury you're gonna kind of have to build it with flaws and then try and take off with the flaws i say to people starting brands and i coach many brands that are starting like don't think that there's going to come this perfect moment when you can start you know it's like you can go to my thriller site now and there's errors in it you know but or i would never have started you know so and the same with unit it was it was highly flawed um my my encouragement to people is to just start with the flaws and with the self-doubt and think and learn on your feet and and talk to people and ask for feedback and be prepared to push back against negative feedback for your own reasons if you believe in them um and don't be a statistic who listens to their own self-doubt and then stays in the job they hate fight back yeah, good answer, man. I, I'm with you on that one. Um, so with Thriller, who's involved in it? Is is your brother Ian involved in it or your other younger brother, are they involved in Thriller or is this a um, a Paul-backed adventure? Well, yeah, so I do. I would I call am... it adventure, but it's an adventure, I think. <laughs> it, is, it is an adventure. Look, I, um, I am accumulating a board. So I have a board of people that are involved with the business. Uh, both my brothers are on that board. Um, they... My younger brother, Ian, who did unit with me, he runs Princess Polly, which is like a $400, $500 million business globally. He doesn't own that business, but he manages it in the Australian entity and is um, in really enjoying that and is highly successful. And he is brilliant at that. So um, he's fairly tapped out with his time, but he, he is very excited to see what I'm doing with it. And um, his knowledge is amazing and I value his opinion. So he's, uh, he's in my corner. Uh, and then my other brother, Mark, who's only 25, as I mentioned, he's like my millennial kind of like uh, spokesperson. So he he, uh, he gets in there and tells me when I've, you know, messed up or, or you know, his, his advice from, from his point of view. So, um, but in a word, it is my own creation at this stage. Um, and I do have some great people around me uh, who are helping me. My girlfriend, Jenna, has been incredible. Um, 
I can't thank her enough for the work she's put into getting me through some tough times in my life through losing unit, losing a, a marriage and losing, you know, potentially kids and everything like that. You need a good woman in your life. And um, she's been that for me. So um, I've got great people around me and uh, I've got the, yeah, the motivation to uh, go and do something even better. Um, and then, you know, with, with capital, when you raise capital, you inevitably bring in some fairly big heavy hitters. So like some of the people that are involved uh, on the sidelines now coming into this business are, are some pretty big um, heavy hitters. I can't name them, but they, they're, uh, they're about to come on board. Man, that's awesome. That's really good to hear. Um, you've already spoken about BMX and moto and mountain bike. You'll go into those. Um, would you go back into the same... I guess this is probably more of a board decision, um, but would you go back into sponsoring like you did in the old days where you were very generous? Would you go back into those, into that mindset or is this a completely different mindset? No, that's always been my mindset. Sponsoring people with, with energy and ideas is how I'm wired because that's how I see myself. And if you, you know, if you have an idea and you've got the energy to do it and I believe in you and you believe in yourself and I can help you do it, I'll do it. <laughs> That's never changed. That will never change. That's awesome, yeah, because I'm just thinking, you know, the Jed Mildens, the um, the Levi Sherwoods, the Rob Adelbergs, the, the Robbie Madisons, all of those guys uh, were under your wing at some stage and uh, I think it's something that kind of is missing from all action sports, it, it feels like it's, uh, yeah, the, there's not that much behind it anymore. It's more about just a, a free shirt here and there, but no one actually really cares. Whereas what I remember, I remember every single company or even person that's helped me along. And, and those points have helped me as a writer, and I'm sure it helps the writers as well. So, yeah, I was just wondering... Um, from from a writer's point of view, from the sports point of view, you're definitely looking to get back into there. Yeah, I mean, I know the I know the formula that, that makes a brand go from like an idea on a on a kitchen bench that I'm sitting on right now to like people walk past you in the street with that with that design on. You know, like I've seen that, and I've done that, I've lived it, and I'll do it again, and I am doing that again. So um, scaling that is uh, yeah something I know how to do and helping people achieve things that are uh, cool and that, that people want to do and, and yeah, just creating something from nothing, you know, like that's what we're here for. Like we're, we're just, we're bacteria floating around on this like crazy, like solar system designed to do crazy cool shit, you know, like let's embrace that. And like you're born, you die, you know, like you want to have something on your gravestone where it's like, you know, like you, what are we doing? You know, like that, anything that, that creates this thing, you know, that, Give me something, you know, and I can, if I can be involved with that, I will do it. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. Got to, you got to live life. Like I said, there's only 33,000 days. You might as well enjoy them. Um, actually, uh, wait just a sec. I did have, I did have another one I wanted to ask actually. And that was more about, you knew how, you know how big you can get. And that came around the, the idea of the religion in a way or, or the cult status and that's what you're building now. Do you know how to solve that problem? The it, You can't be a bean counter like at Billabong, like you said. That's how they can still stay and be a legacy brand. 
but to get back there you yeah you've this is how you want to do it you want to be a a cult-like brand because that's what you believe in how do you solve that problem that must be the hardest one look it's it's a lot like you know developing a rock band you know like you know it's if you look at the top rock bands of the 80s you know they only lasted a few years before they just self-imploded so the more outlandish and the more crazy that you get the less life cycle the less lifetime you can you can have so it is a difficult one because you wanted like if i could say what i really want to say (laughs) i wouldn't it would not be it would be banned tomorrow you know and so that's my greatest fear is like um we're living in a so much more sterilized censored environment so building a new religion so to speak is uh very difficult and i don't want it to to be um you know this is at the end of the day we make jerseys and t-shirts you know we're not, we're not exactly um, we're, we're, we're not uh saving people's lives so to speak but i do like the ability to say things um yeah so yeah building building something that can last is hard when it's very provocative <laughs> so um i very much am acutely aware of that and uh that's where unit ran aground on many occasions so i have to keep that in check to some degree and as i said find other avenues to be that um truth teller and the uh sometimes it's best doing it anonymously and and saying truth that's why graffiti is cool who put that on that wall no one knows yeah but man that's yeah. true whatever that person wrote i fucking i agree with that and you don't know who it was. <laughs> exactly. That guy's already long gone and that graffiti is still there for a long yep. time after, hopefully. Um, <laughs> man, you've you've actually done a lot of other things that kind of changed people's minds. Like, I remember seeing that mirror room that you made um, and that's kind of like, yeah, you're not a normal dude. Like, you want to do things extra, extra normal, extraordinary and it, I don't know, like when I saw that and I stood in there, I didn't know which way it was up or down. And you made the, what did you call it? Is it a zero gravity work desk? And and that's almost become like its own trend in furniture design. Like you've got so many ideas out there. Are you pushing in other areas as well? Yeah, so it's funny you mentioned that. So I, I called it the immersion pod, and that was a, um, a dentist That's chair sitting inside of a mirrored room. So I ended up spending, I think it was 20 or 30 grand on mirroring out my whole office, the floor, the walls, the ceiling, everything was mirror. And um, it was just like a, another dimension to really get into a different paradigm mentally. And I always found I could think of great ideas on an airplane and and then that led to me to like think of how could I make an extra dimensional place in my office, <laughs> which yeah. led to the mirrored room. Um, now, I actually have developed that pod dramatically and only five meters from me right now is the latest incarnation of that um and my goal so this is before all of these thirty thousand fifty thousand dollar you know um scorpion desks that people have with with you know articulating elements and rally car seats with big screens like yeah my my room was actually before any of that existed um but the new version i have that i want to bring out um is so simple and so affordable and so comfortable that I cannot wait to show the world what I've got. I just don't have enough time in the day to do it. But um, I've actually only this week had a bit of a, had another um, like, you know, uh, sort of like 
what like Yahoo moment with like a couple of features to it. So I'm taking my time, but I have something pretty cool coming that I want to launch to the public, which is kind of weird owning an action sports apparel brand and then going, here's a piece of furniture that I recommend. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is from a design sitting and interfacing with a computer. Um, no one has what I have and no one, I don't let people in my house to see it because it's that sick. <laughs> so, so you're not going to turn the screen uh, like 25 degrees so I can have a little I, sticky beak. Damn. If, if you came to Australia, I, w- I would trust you. Ah! I would show you. But, uh, yeah. yeah. It, pen, it, pen and paper, no phones, no cameras. You can you can walk yep. in with a pen and paper. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I completely get it. No, because like I'm just listening to that passion coming out in your voice right now. Like I didn't even know you had this thing. I was just thinking about <laughs> – where your mind goes and what I've seen from what you've done before and, and that immersion pod, I, I loved it because, yeah, you do see these scorpion chairs now that didn't exist and what you created, I always think back to then. I'm like, yeah, Paul did that bloody 10, 15, 15 years ago at least. I think it was I think more. it was 2006 I made that and um, I, yeah. I only did it for myself. I didn't really build it to launch but um, – yeah, it, it, what's funny about it is because I've been patient and I haven't rushed to put it out to the market, I've I've developed it so far for myself and that's been cool. I haven't just, you know, rushed out to try and sell it. And, yeah, I, I think anyone can afford one of these and it's going to prevent what they call kyphotic spines. Every human now runs around with this, their head oh, yeah. leaning forward, their, their shoulders coming in and, you know, I'm a graphic designer, so I'm tethered oh. to a chair. You know, like just even mentioning it, people are like starting to stretch. Like yeah. I can see you do it. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> what what I have here is um, something that yeah, one day I hope to to bring to the public. But for me, at the moment, it, it helps me design all day long without feeling um, like I'm ruining my body and my spine. You know, and so um, it, it lives on in its new form. And uh, one day, everyone will have one. <laughs> awesome i can't wait mate i can't wait to see it i i'd love to get on a plane and come back home and check it out actually but uh probably not happening just yet but, i'll have a cold uh, vb waiting for you brother oh <laughs> uh, no i've got to have a rot house mate i'll bring the german beers don't worry actually the vb you're you're bloody in queensland mate you can't be drinking vbs <laughs> Yes, well, I, bring the German beer. I, I, I agree. I, I having been over there, I will, I will. Hopefully, I don't lose my Australian license for this. But uh, yeah, bring the German beer. <laughs> yeah, that that won't be an issue. Now, one actual really cool thing that you did, and you did mention it before, that you help other brands as well, and in this day and age, anybody can start a brand on the internet in about five minutes, and they can make clothes they can they, they're competing directly with you in terms of selling clothes not in your space of what you're trying to do how do you compete against that but also how do you help build other people's brands like there, there's like almost this conflict of interest in a way that you're helping but damn it these guys could actually be really good and it's gonna that's gonna cut into what i'm doing but i don't think you see it that way I, no, don't, I don't, but I thought yeah. I'd ask. Yeah, no, I, I think in, in teaching you learn, you know, and both my parents are teachers, you know, so I, okay. I've been lucky and, and um, 
because I, my parents are teachers, I, I find teaching quite um, comes naturally to me. And I'm not worried about that. Like I'm not, I'm not so concerned about developing a competitor. Like I, I have helped people with action sports brands and, and, and on that, you know, like to really fight back against the plethora of people competing in the marketplace. I always say, find a niche. That's why Thriller has started in BMX. I said, it's like the art of war, the book from a Chinese military strategist. It's like win at home. So like I said to myself, we want to, we want to own the Narang BMX club. That's, that's the first front line. We want to be the primary brand, the alpha brand in BMX in our home club. And then we go to Ashmore and then we go to Brisbane and then, you know, we, we scale out. So don't try and own the world, just own your local suburb. Be, be the brand locally, niche out, figure out what works, what its nuances are and, and how you can be the best option in that area. Um, and if you're not, figure out why not and change it until you are and then scale that out. And that takes time. You know, a brand like people think Unit was an overnight success and in some way it was, but it still took five years, you know, oh, yeah. and, you know, Thriller is six months old. So we're still tiny, like Thriller is minute. But um, come back in 10 years. We'll see where we're at. Yeah, exactly. So you then, you wouldn't believe where I hear a lot of people saying, let's say for Australia, for an Australian band or Australian musician, you have to be big in America first before anybody in Australia actually cares. They don't care about the local guy. You're actually saying the opposite. Win at home. Yeah, absolutely. See, America is fraught with... Um, I think too many people drink the Kool-Aid about America and we did, we thought, oh, let's go to America. And we actually did really well in America in many ways, but it also came at huge distraction from our at-home business, you know? And so getting into Sun as we did with that campaign, it weakened our home base and getting on a, on a flight every two weeks to LA and back doing Skypes to our American office, it drained us, um, and, you know, like look at bands, like the Beatles thought they were going to go to America and blow up America overnight. Oasis thought they were going to do it and it didn't happen to the same degree. Uh, America's not what you think it is. It's, you know, it, it's, um, yeah, there's a lot of bullshit in America and I love America. America is the greatest country on earth, so I'm not an American hater. I feel like America you know, if I was going to be born tomorrow anywhere, I want to be born in America and I want to have, maybe that won't be true in the next few years the way it's going because America's losing ground rapidly. Maybe I want to be born in Shanghai in a few years. Who knows? I was just about to say um, that. <laughs> I mean, America, I mean, this this douchebag they've got in power at the moment is uh, showing us what, um, you know, what, what America's heading towards and it's uh, it's not great. So I say to people, Fuck America. I love the country. It's it's obviously, you know, it is what it is. It's um, a great ally of our country. Um, but in terms of business, forget about it, you know. You get there when you're ready, you know. In the meantime, work on your own home base, get that going. And I think it's a 10-year deal. Do 10 years at home, then think about America. No overnight successes. 10 years, mate. That's a long time. Look, I mean, yeah, it's it, it can be done. I'm sure people have done it, and um, but you know, you can you can just get blinded by the light, and you can forget about what's actually important. And I mean, that was some of the mistakes I made with the unit. We went to America too quickly and tried to employ staff over there that were, you know, appeared competent. Um, some were, some were not, um, and uh, 
yeah, it's uh, it's done done with uh, the right timing. You know, if you if you have all the ducks in a line, okay, do it, but but don't get carried away. Don't don't yeah. drink that Kool Aid down too quick. Yeah, no, fair <laughs> call. And with uh, with helping other brands, how much time do you actually have to do that? Because the one thing you can't do, I guess, is scale your consultancy. You can't scale time. No. How do you deal with that? Well, now I have to say no a lot more often, um, especially yeah. in the last few weeks. So with what's happening now, we're, we're starting to get some yeah great growth. And um, unfortunately, yeah, a lot of that... Um, freelance design business that I do and, and coaching has to come uh, off the table as Thriller starts to scale. So um, that's sometimes a sacrifice, you know, that, that you make. Um, the only thing I won't say no to is my family now. Like if my son has a, has a sports event or my girlfriend needs me, that's where I'm going to be and I don't give a fuck. That's good. That yeah, you've you've changed priorities, I guess, and cha- priorities have changed for you. You're older, like life happens, and but that's cool. That's good <laughs> to hear. Yeah, that's, but then, that's the plan. so would you continue the consultancy with just a few key clients, or is it something that takes a back seat almost completely? While now you're in that stage of yeah, you you're looking for first round of investment. This is a big deal. You've got to be 100% focused. Yeah. So I I like the idea of helping people. So I feel like the coaching side of things will start to um, dissipate, but then I also want to have have some form of um, charity connected to Thriller. And I haven't decided what that's going to be yet, but um, it's going to consume my day completely over the next six to 12 months. And I just, I don't know, like I'm actually looking for someone to come and help me find a charity that all I know is I want to help young people who've found themselves in a circumstance outside of their control. They haven't been as lucky as you and I. Maybe their parents split up, they were in a very bad home or they've had something happen to them and... They have the talent and the drive, but they haven't. Their circumstance has not allowed them to be in a place that we were lucky enough to be in. And I want to help that kid. And I don't know what that charity is yet. And I'm hope, open to um, ideas, but um, that's going to be a fairly big component for where I can drive that ability to help so that I'm giving back because you have to give back and you end up finding that that's really where so much of the enjoyment of that living because you don't take the money with you. You know, you don't, no. they don't bury you with your Ferrari. You know, they no, leave. Exactly. That goes back to the liquidator. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, you're so. right. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it. But, um, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's just material possessions at the end of the day and it doesn't really mean yeah. jack dilly squat but if you can help change somebody's life that means something yeah so i'm looking for that i don't know what that will be yet but that's certainly something i want to um, build in man that's cool well um what is your overall goal who who is paul everest and what is your <laughs> overall goal because you seem to be a lot of things mate you, you're wearing a lot of hats and yeah I'm yeah, sure it's a, a difficult question. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's a it's a great question, and I and I think I, I like to answer that in this way. You know that you are more than the sum of your parts, and I want to be someone that was lucky enough 
to go through life and um, make one plus one equal five, you know, and I've, and I've done that with unit. I did that with nothing. Um, I did it with help though. You don't do it alone. You know, these people that say, oh, I'm self-made. That's bullshit. No one is self-made. Everyone helps you. So this is not about, you know, you being some amazing human. It's like you, you achieving the impossible from very, very few pieces um, and, and finding the energy around people around you who collaborate with you to do something that drives you to want to live. And yeah, if I can, if I can inspire someone to go, I'm going to go and start a brand or I'm going to go and do something and I don't have any money, but I'm going to go and try that. If my story can help them, um, you know, and I, you know, like, yeah, I don't feel like I'm some special person, but I feel like I've got a story to tell in that what's happened to me and what I think I can do next, you know, and that my story is still the best bits are coming for me, you know, and uh, yeah, just you, you are capable of so much more than you realize and it's, you don't need money to succeed. It's just how much you want it. Mate. Right. Well, it's, it's, uh, not long after lunchtime here, so I've got a few hours left in the day. I feel like I really just have to knuckle down and um, <laughs> put it put out these projects, like you said, even if they're flawed at the moment. That I find this would be a question that I'd put to yourself or to somebody else who's creating a business, but it, it's a question that I'm thinking of for myself, not just for everybody else, hopefully, that would enjoy this and listen. Um, yeah, I, I guess I just have to put out these projects even if they're not entirely ready, I need to finish them off or at least get them to a point. I'm like, okay, let it go. Let's see what happens. And I guess the market will decide whether it's a good idea or not. I guess that's what I'm kind of getting out of this chat with you. Yeah. And and they don't require lots of money, you know, like you can, you can test something out that you think might be a goer and it might only be a few hundred dollars to test it. And I think, sketching it writing it down in a book and and re re sketching it and if you're an if you're a designer type or you're a an events person you know you can start to piece all those things together and um just remember you know 33,000 days that's all you have that's your time on set and you're asleep for one third of them so it's actually it's actually less than that and you don't have the time that you think you do you have to act now and um yeah just go for it and and um don't let those things sit on the sidelines put them into action they're your little lottery tickets that's your little lottery ticket don't go and spend 20 dollars on an instant scratch it at the shop spend that 20 bucks on like that like i've got a i've got a beach product here that, I, that i'm like developing you know that i just thought of you know and it's it's going to cost me maybe 500 bucks to test and like it might fail completely but like it's just it's a fun little project and and um it just keeps my mind active and and uh if i'm having a down day i'm like oh that thing might just take off you know and it's like i can now get, you know entertain myself with wh- where that goes and so yeah never let those ideas dissipate keep them keep them bubbling and and uh you know get out of that day job you hate and sometimes these little crazy ideas you have become nasa or become you know name any company every company of any success started with an idea in some fucker's mind there's an idea that's it man that's so true right well um i guess i'm i'm about to wrap up here and uh 
get to some work, but what do you actually do for fun? I guess we haven't really even spoken about that because it's all been about business because it is so interesting to talk to you. Um, what do you do for fun? So I have three amazing children and they pretty much, uh, you know, working with them and playing with them is really where I get my fun from. I mean, we, we get a, a four drive out, go to uh, some of the sand islands and, and uh, my, my oldest son is into his parkour. So he does flips and we just did a little YouTube video for him. So I'm learning how to like edit YouTube. <laughs> yeah. So he's like a little Steve Irwin, my son, Bo. And so I, I get such a kick out of my children having fun, you know, and um, in the process, I'm learning how to do new things. And um, my other son, Bailey's a gamer, loves it. And then Lee, my daughter, is just, um, yeah, she's just such a personality. And, and just watching them grow and, like, ride bikes. we got a Peewee 50 going. Like, this weekend, we're going Peewee 50 riding. So I do work hard, like I am a hard worker and, and my fun really comes down to my kids. Um, I am buying a BMX race bike because I do want to, um, I was going to say walk my talk, but I'm going to ride my talk. Yeah. If, I, if I own Thriller, I need to be on a BMX bike racing in the pants that I'm putting out there. So I have a BMX bike on my shopping list and I am going to race it. And um, that's going to be great fun. I'm toying with the idea of an electric mountain bike. I had a go with um, Georgie and some of the other boys um, uh, in Austria last year, and that was an incredible thing. So there's a few toys I need to add to my uh, my list, and uh, and yeah, you know, just yeah, just enjoying living in Burley Heads. Like here, you know, we can go surfing, go for a ride. Um, I still have a 24-inch BMX bike that I ride to the gym with, and and that gets that that helps me clear my mind, you know. And sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, no, I completely agree. That's that's all I'm doing. I to clear my mind, jump on a pushy, and uh, to be honest, it doesn't clear my mind because I'm in a way I'm kind of like you. I'll come back and I'll have ten more ideas. And I'm like, <laughs> ah, crap! I was supposed to get rid of things out of my mind. Now I've got more. More ideas. Damn it. Now which ones are going to work? Okay. So, yeah. Awesome, man. No, good to hear. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's, that's it. It's driving. It's, it's, it's engaging you into, into action. And I think, yeah, that's, that's what it should do. And, um, yeah, it's, it's great to connect with you, mate. And, and we go back a long way. And um, it's cool that you're in Germany and I'm in the Gold, sorry, Gold Coast right now. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, technology is, is uh, you know, it's having a negative impact in many ways in our reality. But um, these sorts of moments and elements of it make it cool. And I've got friends all over the world now where we can interact like this. And um, this is one of those moments, mate. And hopefully someone can take something from our conversation and, um, yeah, take something positive for it. Yeah, exactly. That's that's all I hope from it as well. So, no, thanks so much for that, mate. It was great to have you on and uh, love to catch up with you again very soon in real life let's do that okay so i have to say i'm incredibly humbled that paul took the time to have this chat and this was a long one and i feel like time is his most precious commodity as he explained earlier we only have thirty-three thousand days and one third of it is spent sleeping so that means even more to me so thank you so much paul I'm stoked you took the time to come on and go into so much detail. And I really think this will be valuable information for everybody who listened today. Or if nothing else, just a cool story as you waste away the day doing whatever you're doing. So if you have been motivated to get out of fucking bed, just like Paul said, 
I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm just paraphrasing here. If you're motivated, jump on any of our social channels and let me know which part of this chat really had the most impact for you. Or you can email me directly at steve at invertmanagement.com. I'd be pumped to hear that this chat has somehow sparked even just one person into doing something. For me personally, well, this might have been the kick in the ass I also needed to have. Not that I have the need for any more motivation. I don't need the need for any more ideas for any more projects because I've already got too many. But perhaps it's the trust in myself or at least to pull the trigger on a few of them and just see what happens. And I guess I'll start to talk about them a little bit more in the near future. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Someone who has also always been behind me with plenty of my dumb ideas has been Jason at Lakes Networking, who continues to support me from riding freestyle motocross to building all of my websites, which includes the Riders Lounge podcast or even the Queensland Moto Park way, way, way back in the day. Lakes have always taken care of my phones, my laptops and anything techie and most of the new projects I'll be doing in the future will definitely be heavily influenced by tech into the future. And I've also got plenty of work to do right now as it happens. So I'm going to grab myself a bottle of motivation from Rothaus, the Tannin Zapfler alcohol-free beer, and I'm about to get stuck into some work and keep checking back for some more updates in the very near future. Thank you very much, and we'll see you soon on the next Riders Lounge podcast. (laughs) 